You're listening to a DM podcast. Just a quick warning, this podcast series contains discussions about crime, trauma, sexual abuse, drug use and suicide. Listener discretion is advised. I used to rob banks in the 80s and 90s and did 23 years in prison in three different states. It took 30 years to talk about the sexual abuse that happened to me and the spiral into crime, addiction and depression that all occurred as a result. Now, having turned my life around, I talk openly to inspirational people about trauma, survival, transformation and hope. I am Russell Manser and this is The Sticker. Joseph Kwan's story is not too dissimilar to my own. He came up with the concept of CONFIT, which is a social enterprise that incorporates fitness and business and changes the lives of everyone that takes part in it. Joseph Kwan, welcome to The Stick-Up. Man, thanks for having me here, Russell. Mate, uh, man, I've been following your journey, man. What an amazing, inspirational journey, like what you have done and what you've achieved. And... Um, I guess, you know, from a fellow prisoner's experience, um, mate, it's everyone's dream to get out and achieve what you've done. Mate, it's not, look, at the end of the day, like, it wasn't really a dream, you know, to, to do what I was doing right now. It just kind of all kind of fell in place, you know. Um, at the, well, all I knew was, you know, when I was in jail, I just wanted to change my life around. Yeah. You know, um, I'm pretty sure every inmate, including yourself, you know, um, goes through this uh, certain stages in their in their life you know especially when you're in jail you know you're sitting in jail and go fuck there's got to be more to this for sure true um yeah and then i just you know i was fortunate enough that i found a positive mentor who was able to kind of change my mindset around okay there's another there's another path you know um and i just kind of pursued that that works both ways in jail isn't it you'll either get them positive ones or you'll get the negative ones that'll steer you down the wrong path. Mate, it's just luck, man, who you who you come across at the end of the day. Yeah, you know? I've had a few. All right, let's go. Let's go, mate. Where, you know, what was your home life like growing up? You you grew up single parent. Is yeah, right? single mum. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So <clears throat> look, mum mum was an international student when she came out. She won a scholarship. Mum mum's an opera singer. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. So she got she got a scholarship to come to Sydney to study at the Conservatorium of Music. Yeah. Right. Walked past that the other day. Yeah, yeah. In, in saying that, like, look, you know, from the outskirts, it looks all luxurious and lavish because, you know, she's doing performances and wearing these hectic dresses and, you know, but then when you go back home, you know, we're, we're, we grew up in Public Housing Commission. Whereabouts did you grow you up? You know, um, so Campsie. Okay. You know, oh, yeah, well, I escaped from Campsie. Yeah. <laughs> Went to court and that's, that's the court. No, not like Campsie, not Campsie, Campsie. Yeah, Campsie yeah, near Campsie. Bankstown. Yeah, 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 yeah. That's where I escaped from, 12th of December 1990. <laughs> Went to court and escaped from there. Yeah, I know it well. Yeah, yeah. So I grew, I grew up there, but then we moved around a lot, you know, um, and, you know, mum struggling. She's a student. She couldn't speak English. She was, she's studying. Like, What's your mum's nationality? South Korean. Okay. Yeah, so she's um, studying music, studying English, and then trying to put food on the table at the same time. You know, we moved around heaps, you know, but majority of the time I, grew, I pretty much grew up in Campsie. Yeah. Mate, what, and what was the, the culture like in Campsie? Like how long, like, you know, was it, there, there was a bit, there was some scallywags come from Campsie, oh. Mate, it was, uh, it was very diverse, you know, mm. like multiculturally very diverse, yeah. you know, like I, I had this one, like a unit, it's like a two, like a two story kind of flat, mm. right? One of those old brick, brick units. Um, and knowing well the red brick unit the red brick yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> the old school ones right yeah. and you know downstairs you know you've got like 
you know, you got you got an Aussie couple living there. Then you've got like Asians, you've got Islanders, you've got there's like two big Filipino families living next to me, right behind us. You had a big um, Polynesian family living there, so it's like very diverse. And right next door, you've got you know a lot of the Lebanese community. You know, like Kemba's right next door yeah. as well. So it was a huge mix of different cultures. What sort of led you into sort of gangs and crime and that sort of stuff? The whole crime factor wasn't really appealing to me mm. you know but you know I, I come from a very broken ho- home so you know like i said everything looked you know nice and lavish on the outside right but in reality a lot of domestic violence in the house mom and dad broke up very very early on so i grew up without a father right and you know at that age when you're a young kid i've got no siblings only child you know and you know growing up trying to become a man you know like I don't working ha- it out for yourself yeah, yeah i don't have any role like male role models and like the guys on the street, you know, you know, in camps, you remember the old billiards Upstairs, the, on, on, Beamish, players, on yeah. Beamish Street? Yeah, yeah. And they had the arcades at the front. Yeah. So I used to always ride my bike to, to the billiards on, on Beamish Street in Campsie. And then at the back, they've got all the older guys playing pool and they're all smoking at the back. But I used to always hang around at the front because they had the Street Fighter games and yeah. stuff like that. So I used to always play there. But then I used to always talk to the older guys at the back and, you know, like I used to be a little cheeky little fella, you know, I used to go over and go, give me a cigarette and I'm mm. in my primary school uniform, right? And they, yeah. they used to look at me and go, oh, look at this guy. They probably thought I was cute, you know. They're mm. like, let's see what he does with the cigarette. And I lit it up and, you know, and they're like, I didn't know how to smoke. Coffin splattering. Yeah. But, you know, like they seemed really cool and they were looking after me and I was going there very often and they knew my name and, you know, every time I go there, they always give me money to play the arcade games. And, you know, I looked up to the older guys and I was looking at all the wrong places. It wasn't the kind of the crime and that kind of stuff that I got There's drawn that more to. Validation, you think it was more validation? More validation, more about um, nurturing as well. Yeah. You know, the older guys are nurturing me. They, they're showing me attention. Uh, things. Attention. And it's more about like the, that older male figure kind of care kind of factor, you know, which I never had at home. So I was searching elsewhere. You know, I was going out on the streets to look for that kind of stuff. So crime was always a by factor of wanting to belong and wanting to be a part of a community. You know, yeah. and that's why I ended up joining a gang as well. You know, I was I was one angry little kid. You know, my mum later told me she's like, you know, you're never gonna see your dad again, right? We're gonna keep it like that. I'm not gonna tell you why. And you know, it leaves a huge hole in your heart. And being a South Korean background, you know, we learn how to kick <laughs> before yeah. we can walk, right? So I was yeah. a junior black belt taekwondo. Uh, and my nickname growing up was Joquando. That's why I said not, <laughs> you know, you know, at, at school, you know, I'm there, you know, someone picks a fight with me, then I'll be doing like spinning hook back kicks. And <laughs> you know, I was that, I was like, you know that. Did you think classic, you had a point, did yeah. you have a point to prove when you were going to school? Not more than a pr- uh, point to prove, but I guess it was always maybe part of the acceptance factor. Yeah. Because, you know, I didn't have anything else. It wasn't me trying to prove a point or anything. It was like, look, if I, Maybe it was like attention-seeking behavior, I reckon. Yeah, you know, looking which comes back from validation, it. doesn't it? Yeah, like yeah, I yeah. think as, as a young kid, I was always about that seeking validation. For me, I, I know that. Did you experience any racism in that at school? Oh, man, there's always racism. Yeah. There's always racism. What did that do to your soul as a kid? Like, what did that do to you? I, I hate racism. Yeah, look, you know, like it, it gets to the point where it's like it's so prevalent. Like it becomes normalized after a while, you know, like mm. you just throw jokes around there. And in a way, like I was thinking that's normal as well, you know, um, and there's to a certain point, like amongst your mates, all right, this is a, you know, I've got a lot of Islander friends and stuff. Um, we, we throw jokes at each other and it, it's okay 
if you're if they're your mates, but then if you're not close for some reason, it's not. It's offensive, isn't it? It is. It is. But then, then okay, then why should that be okay with your with your mates as well? Yeah. It's a it's a funny thing, right? So there was there was a lot of racism growing up. You know, even in jail, you know, yeah. there's there's a culture divide. Yeah, you know, hundred percent nationalities all they all stick to each other. Yeah. And if I felt like that was the same thing because I remember after high school we used to always get into fights and be like, Oh, we're gonna go fight the Lebo boys or we're gonna go fight the Viet boys or like yeah. you know, like it was, So what yeah. so your gang was Asian based guys, were they? It was Asian based. But yeah. it was a it was a mix, it was a mix of all different Philos, yeah. Viets, yeah. Yeah, yeah, Chinese, Koreans, yeah. Well, tough gang man. Oh, you know what? I'll tell you the ones in jail. You don't fuck with the Asians. <laughs> they're, look, they're, they're not much to look at. You know, they're small, but I've small by lethal. People ask me who are the most dangerous gang in jail. I say the Asians, no danger. But they're the friendliest too, for sure. It was funny because when I was in prison, I met a couple of Chinese guys. They branded. It took me eight years, eight, eight years to even eat with them. That's them guys like to work you out. Yeah. You know, they were a branded triad. You know, and they were amazing guys. Just anyway, I'll get back to that. But um, what led you to prison? Like I said, growing up, we didn't have much. Yeah, you know? mum's struggling to put food on the table. She's hardly at home because she's either studying yeah. or she's going out to work, right? So I'm out, I'm, I'm out on the streets most of the time. Like I said, I'm riding my bike around and hanging out with the older guys. And because I knew how to do some taekwondo, yeah. <laughs> it, it um kind of caught the attention of the local street gang. Yeah, it kind of took me in, and I thought it was the coolest thing. I'm like skipping school all the time i never felt accepted at school yeah. you know i was the part of the one i know i know this is a big stereotype right you know everyone thinks that asians are like academically gifted yeah. <laughs> yeah. i must have been missing some sort of chromosome <laughs> <laughs> uh, i wasn't good at school you yeah. know um very far from it and i was one of those like really disruptive kids as soon as i walk into the class the teacher's like joe get out mm. you know and why would i want to go to school mm. right when i went somewhere where i didn't feel accepted you know, I felt more accepted on the streets with the boys, you know, than I did at school or at home. So I was like, you know, I'm just going to hang out here all the time, you know. And like I said, crime was always a by-factor of being a part of a community mm. where I belonged, you know, whether call it gang or whatever you want to call it. But for me, it was just brotherhood, you yeah. know, what I thought was brotherhood at the time. And because everyone's everyone comes from broken homes and because everyone comes from nothing it's just a natural flaw in effect these guys get up to no good you're not at school what do you do you know you get up to petty shit you know when you're young and then you know the older guys start giving you little jobs here and there you know we're doing little runs here and there mm. and uh, it just started growing from there and it escalates doesn't yeah it? it does escalate yeah you went to prison you were sentenced to 13 years yeah yeah so i got nine on the bottom 13 on top wow yeah and that was my first first whack as well you never went to boys' homes or anything. Never before? went to Third. boys' home. That was my first lagging ever. Wow. You know, I, and I'm I'm not saying that you know I've been I've been innocent my whole life, you know. Um, and they say that you know your actions. Catches. Was that an import or what was it? There's an ongoing supply or something. Yeah, on, it's ongoing supply. Yeah. yeah wow. Uh, MDMA. Yeah. That's a big cent. Oh, jail, mate. Did you first land at MRC? Is that where you first? No, nah, I went straight to Parkley. So when when I got arrested, it was end of November. Yeah. Right, it was November twenty seventh, two thousand and seven, and then um, it's leading up to the festive season, right? And during that time, there's a huge influx of people coming in. You know, it's coming up to the festive season. Yeah. Everyone's dealing drugs yeah. and all that kind of stuff. And yeah. you know, I, I went straight to Surrey Hills, and Surrey Hills. I stayed at, in Surrey Hills for two weeks. That's like two years. <laughs> Surrey Hills, also known as Surrey Hills, is uh, a place where when you first get arrested, it is inhumane. Yeah, the conditions there—you don't see natural daylight. 
uh, fluorescent lights the whole day. You know, uh, you're in that fish tank. I, I saw my first bronzing in Surrey Hills. Well, let's let's explain. I know what the terminology. <laughs> let, explain the terminology bronzing because this will shock a lot of people. All right, well, I'll, I'll tell you the story about what happened. Right, yeah. so. My Kowi and I, we got locked up and because some of the clothes that we were wearing, they wanted to use that as evidence at court. So they put us in a jumper suit. Yeah, now the forensics jump, in white. Front. The forensics, the forensic suits. Yeah. The only people they normally put in forensic suits are the ones that come in for murder, right? And no, so, that, that forensic suit is a white. It was blue white. at the time. It was blue at the time, yeah. Blue. Yeah, well, yeah. A blue suit with a hood on it. Did they have a hood on it? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, and um, they normally put it for people that are pinched and murdered. You might see it on like on a TV show after someone's been pinched. It's one-piece suit, like a big onesie. Yeah, pretty much, yeah. yeah. So we come in, and um, they wouldn't put us with anywhere, anyone else, but all the cells are packed, right? And they put us into this one cell. There was this indigenous man in there. He didn't move. He was literally um, in a fetal position facing the wall, and he was just sleeping. He was out cold, right? And literally for like two days, he didn't move. And we're like, man, is this guy dead? So I asked my colleague, go, go like kick him or something. So we just like kicked him. He wouldn't move. We're like, oh my God, this guy's probably dead or mm. something, right? Anyway, it was like about the third day. I'm just sitting with my colleague. We're just staring at the wall, going crazy. And then this guy just gets up and starts walking to the toilet. And I mean, toilet as in... A steel frame. Just a steel thing there's no covers nothing right no. whatever so we wanted no to toilet seat yeah so we wanted to and there's like green like, like gangrene looking stuff growing all over the toilet yeah. seat right and i wanted to give this guy some privacy you know i'm new to this whole thing as well yeah. so we turned our back and all of a sudden this guy starts screaming going ah like that we're like what the fuck we turned around he's got his own feces he's just chucked the biggest shit Ooh. feces in his hand mm. right and he started wiping it all over the walls and on himself. And he started walking towards us. And we're like, stay the fuck back. And I'm hugging my guy, stay the fuck back. And, like, <laughs> and that was him like, as a way to try to get out of that place. Yeah. It was that horrific. Apparently, he was there for like close to three weeks. Wow. Because they, there was no bed placements at any of the remand centers. Yeah, you know, and and it was just jam packed. It'd be, it'd be yeah. fair to say he was suffering some sort of mental illness too. Hundred percent, hundred percent, yeah, yeah. And that's how we treat them. Uh, the way we often that's the case where they these people obviously are meant to be in a mental health facility, but end up in a police holding cell and and, and often move to a prison cell, which is it's just not on. truck ride mate to park lee that's always interesting isn't it yeah 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 well the first one wasn't too bad you know the first one wasn't too bad the most the interesting truck rides happen when you're going to court yeah. you know uh, when you're going to court or when you're going to other jails but yeah straight to park lee and then it's like you know what it reminds me of you know when you buy fish mm. i don't know if if you got if you've ever had like a fish tank growing up when you yeah. buy fish i didn't but my friends did and mm. it was quite interesting what they did so they'll buy the fish from i don't know the aquarium or the mm. or the pet shop or whatever and they get the fish in this like plastic bag right mm. then they put the whole bag in the fish tank yeah. To acclimatize the temperature, yeah. right, until they release the fish into the big fish tank, yeah. and that's what it kind of felt like. So straight off the street, Surrey Hills, they put you into like a detox, like a detox place for like two days, and then mm. move you on to this other wing where it's just all the newbies come. Yeah. Right, you're like in that plastic bag yeah. until they move you into the main. 
yeah. you know, and that and that that was the whole process. And like when you first come in, as daunting as it is, it seemed a little bit easier because you know that a lot of the people there are kind of new off the streets. They're they're all freshies. A lot of them you you talk to them on the bus, come like mm. the truck coming in. You know, mm. you spend about two weeks with them, and then when you go to the main, that was the most intimidating part. That's the general population, right? Yeah. That everyone's there. And that was the first time I saw like grown ass, like grown ass men tattooed on their face, like big. Everyone's training. Like, I, look, I've grown around uh, up around crime my whole life, but I've never seen this was next level. It's an eye opener, isn't it? <laughs> it's just the whole environment that mm. the guys, you know, like everyone in jail. It's like you're talking about the cream of the crop of the criminal world, you yeah. know, like um, they're all there, yeah. you know, and, and it, it was it was quite daunting and intimidating. I first often- time. I often remember it, remind a scene out of Mad Max Beyond Thunderdome. You're walking into that, it's like <laughs> fucking mohawks and fucking tattooed faces. And, yeah. and everyone's looking at you. Everyone's staring at you because they want to see who's the new fish in, you know, in the, in the jail. And, yeah. you know, I just turned 21 as well. Yeah. You know, still, still considered a young kid, you know, and it's gone in. I was like, what the hell is this place? You know, it's, it's, it's an in- intimidating environment. And every junkie will approach you. You bring an ink with you? Yeah. That, have you got anything on you? It's like that hustle. What are you in for? You know, and the, and the fucking, all the hustlers and that. Mate, so you get the Park Lee. What was the things that started going through your head where you think to yourself, man, I don't want this? Mate, I remember, you know, like, you know when you first go go in yeah you know you don't ha- you don't get buy up or anything you, it, ta- it takes a while to get your buy up right for the well, buy up is a thing that you can order groceries sort of like you know your coffee your, uh toiletries some tuna some noodles and that and you get that you put it in you've got to have money in your account and then you put in a buy up form and you get it about a week later yeah, yeah. and you know how they give you that courtesy pouch yeah when you first come in, at least you, you know oh. if you've got a little bit of money in your wallet or something yeah. like 20 bucks whatever yeah. you could buy a courtesy pouch right yeah. so they don't give you white ox everyone smokes white ox but they give you like champion ruby or champion something. ruby or something yeah. like that right but then when people like towards like you get your buy up on thursdays most jails you get your buy ups on thursdays yeah. and then on the wednesday everyone's out of smokes yeah. right so everyone's hanging out for tobacco and they try every they, they can sniff tobacco out like from anywhere right and I, I was told by people do not do not ever bring, like take your pouch out in the yard yeah. just have it dacked in your pants because even if you have it in your pocket they can see the shape did in you your smoke pocket. at this stage yeah, yeah i was look i i, I wasn't smoking that much yeah. right but when you're going through that traumatic experience oh, mate yeah. i i was smoking like a chimney man yeah. you know yeah. and i had i had to patch in my pocket and it's man the kind of the moves that people pull on you like mm. they come up and they're acting more friendly you know next minute they're like oh yeah you, you know the the you have some smokes but the way they say it you yeah. know and you know that that's the only thing in their mind you know and then you just realize man this is like the biggest like group of hustlers under <laughs> one roof you know you know and you made, made them out here and you think people try to hustle you out here and you think you got nothing compared yeah. to where i've been <laughs> like and people con men and and hustlers and that and i some of these things I get on social media, people doing these approaches, and I think, please, mate, this is amateur hour. I've yeah. been with the best. Yeah. <laughs> 23 years in prison, I've been around some good ones, and you ain't even rating, you know what I mean? You know that I can tell you every move you're about to pull. Yeah, you know yeah. what I mean? Yeah. Mate, so things started to change you, Joe, for the positive. So you, you met a, like a positive mentor. And yeah. what was some of the stuff that that person told you? Look, you know, it was, it was a lead up to that, right? Yeah. So during my remand days, uh, when you first come in, 
you know, at you, you, you even know there's certain different groups of inmates when you're looking around, the, when you're looking around the prison yard, you know, there are kind of categories of inmates, 100%. right? So you've got the guys that just sit around and play cards all day, right? Yeah. That's how they spend their time. And yeah. you get, you see the guys that get on all day and they're chasing, chasing, yeah. and that's their purpose every day, you know, mm. like they, they want to chase and, you know, they want to seek drugs. And I understand, you know, that they want to mask, mm. you know, the reality of prison. You know, yeah. they, they don't want to be there, you know. And then you've got the guys that pretty much just train all day. Yeah. Obviously, that's another way of, you know, masking that they don't want to be there. You know, mm. at least it's it's an out, it is, it's an escapism, it's an mm. outlet, right? Mm. But it's a positive outlet, yeah. right? So I, I and chose- then, then there's the other ones yeah. that are conspiring to do crying. Together, <laughs> you know what I mean? They're fucking walking around like, oh, yeah, yeah. just in case they've got a boom mic on them or whatever. Yeah, doing yeah. the laps up and down. Yeah. And, you know, they're, called, they're called the university for criminals, right? Yeah, Prison. Yeah, yeah. But I chose, I chose a group that wanted to train every day. You know, I got a lot of positive things out of that. Uh, and my purpose every day was to wake up and do two or three training sessions a day. Right? And when I get locked locked up in my cell, uh, I'll write my training routines for the next day, and that that was you know that was good for me. You know that like kept me mentally positive, and I hung around with a group, good group of friends that used to always train with me. But the funny thing was, this guy I, I remember he ended up getting released, and literally like two months later he came back, mm. he came back into the same training group, and mm. he he was like, I I said to him why the hell did you come back? You know, you can't help yourself, eh? And he's like, and this something he said to me that really like, it affected me. He goes, people on the outside do not accept people like us. Mm. It's so hard for him to get a get a job or, you know, or even if you want to change that circle of like friends, he had to, he had to mm. change that. It's really difficult yeah. for anyone, right? And I was like, fuck man, I just, I just see myself being in that same position when I get out because the only friends that I have you know, are the ones in the circle and in the game. And I don't have any other family support here. Mum ended up going back to Korea, mm. you know, so I've got no family support here. I've got no education. I dropped out of school in year 10. I'm like, what the fuck do I have? This is the only thing that I know, you know? And mm. that's when, like, I started thinking, like, man. Was that the seed? It was, it was kind of like the seed, yeah? But it was a gradual process, mm -hmm. right? But I just kept on training, you know, like, you know, I've got my business confident and, you know, and, it's a, it's a training business and our slogan is train to be free yeah you know because whenever we used to train our, our minds you know our body might be yeah. incarcerated but our mind would, was free and another thing i looked around the yard and uh, this is a little bit later on uh, this is at lithgo i looked around the yard and i realized one thing you know everyone definitely comes from some sort of background of childhood trauma or disadvantage, mm. right? And there are other reasons why. Can, can we just stop? Lifco is a prison lot. You got to be just serving a pretty big sentence to go there, you know. Yeah. yeah. Back in the day, it used to be over ten years, but it's you people. It's a maximum security prison. It's freezing fucking cold. Yeah, yeah. But sorry, Judge, and because I like to no, get no, people yeah, paint yeah, a picture. 100%. Yeah, so, yeah, yeah. And then, um, so I was at Lithco prison and looking around the yard, and you know, the common denominator for why everyone was incarcerated was the lack of education. Yeah. I was a part of that statistic. Yeah. You know, uh, how many people do you know that was in prison that had a university degree? Not many. That you have like maybe no. you, you in your whole prison sentence, you, you might meet like two, three, maximum. I'd like to add to that. I think trauma plays a big part in it too. Trauma is a huge part. It yeah. is a huge part, you know. Mm. And I realized, man, there's something going on here. No one's educated here, right, including myself. Why are we all in jail? You know, so I was reading this book one day called Rich Dad Poor Dad okay. by Robert Kiyosaki. Yeah. Have you read that book? No, I haven't, but it's a, it's a must. Yeah. yeah. And in that book, there was this one section that talked about 
accounting is the language of business, right? Yeah. And I'm like, you know what? I'm a I'm a bit of a uh, illegal businessman. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I, know, I know numbers. Yeah, I know a little bit about numbers. I was like, why don't I go teach myself this accounting, right? So I went to the prison library, got myself an accounting textbook, and literally I opened it up and I was like, what the fuck is this? I don't understand a single thing. I was like, I must be the dumbest guy here, mm. right? And I just went, I felt defeated. Right? I was like, mm. man, I'm trying, I'm trying to understand. I, I don't get it. Just all these formulas and everything just looked like bloody hieroglyphics to me, right? Mm. But that exact same day. This guy walks into the yard, right? Tall, big, um, Caucasian Caucasian guy. He had a black eye and looked like he was having the worst time of his life, right? And the rumor in, in the yard was that he was a billionaire accountant mm. that come to jail for Australia's largest tax fraud, mm. right? And everyone was trying to extort him. Yeah, yeah. Right? And all I heard was, not the billionaire word, but all I heard was, was accountant. accountant. Yeah, yeah. So I approached this guy and I was like, look, mate, I'm going to give you a proposal that you can't refuse. Mm. If you teach me accounting every day i'll make sure no one lays a finger on you and i'll give you the protection of mm. me and and the boys in the wing you would right? have a pretty tough gang up there and then and then this guy, bit, can i just can you just be a bit humble there you have a pretty tough gang nah, no it's not we don't, we don't like to call it a gang we're just like just boys who, yeah just boys but when out. i say that you were, were you with the asians up in lifco there's a lot of asians yeah there. yeah there's a lot of Asians. i'll tell you the most yeah. brutal stabbing i've seen was by the asians on the tennis court at, <laughs> And, and, um, and what they did was a bloke spilled some water on one of the old Asian blokes and he was told, a Caucasian bloke, go and apologise, show with some respect. And he said, and he made some racial slur. Ended up looking at air conditioning ducks for yeah. him when they finished with me. He got airlifted out. But sorry, mate, sorry to interrupt because I like to paint a picture yeah, of that. Yeah, no, so, no, no. And it's like somewhere like Lifco, the Asians always had a really good stronghold. They were tight. They were yeah. tight up there. Yeah. I, even, even, I think even Goulburn as well. But, yeah, yeah. Um, most majority of the Vietnamese used to go to Goulburn. Yeah. And majority of the Chinese and like the other Asians used to stay at Lithgow when, yeah. when I was there anyway. It might yeah. have been different back in your time. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, obviously, there's a little bit of mix here and there. Yeah. But um, like the- Chinese were really well organized. They were always, they they're ate most, well. Yeah, most of the, like the tribe bosses yeah, up yeah. there. They were really well organized. They- I loved how they done their jail because they all they sat down and it was like I don't know really functional they ate together and how they ate together and it was just man I learned a lot from watching how they lived their lives yeah about structure I t- I tell I'll tell something funny before I get back yeah. to the story but we you know all the Asians mm. used to work at the sewing shop yeah 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 at, at Lithgow right at lunchtime the sewing shop would turn into a casino. <laughs> literally yeah. like they had their own like like all these deck of cards they had these boxes man you know like the card hot, yeah. like where you like bring the cards out yeah, and yeah, stuff play blackjack yeah yeah they had like professional setup they had someone who was the house mm. and these guys were gambling big time on like they were gambling houses and stuff <laughs> from the outside <laughs> and there was this one guy i won't mention his name but let's just say his name is jay right yeah. so jay gambled so much his missus and his he gambled the house that his missus and kid was living in as well. Mm. And the boys are like, Jay, we love you, but we can't let you gamble anymore. No, no, you know? you're, you're doing your family big justice. <laughs> Mate, you're the guy, the accountant. So um, I said to him, you know, I'll give you that proposal. Like, you know, no one's going to lay a finger on you if you teach me accounting, right? Mm. And he actually looked at me really funny thinking, Everyone's here to extort me, and you're asking for accounting lessons. Yeah. Like, what kind of hustle are you trying to play on me, right? Yeah. 
But not long after, we ended up becoming cellmates. I told I told the screws. I was like, "Hey, man, you know, I want to I want to learn something from this guy." And it took a bit of convincing, and they they yeah, put us. I think you're up to seven. Exactly, exactly. And uh, even he was like, you know, just you know, there's no, there's not nothing sinister going on here. You know, we just want to move in together. So they eventually took a bit of time, but eventually they put us into a cell together. And not only did he hold his end of the bargain and teach me accounting every day, but he taught me some valuable lessons in life. And you know, he taught me about business, taught me about the value of education, but most importantly, he taught me about self-worth. Yeah. And you know, for individuals who have grown up in trauma, like having that, finding that sense of self-worth is really, really difficult, mm. you know, and helped me to understand that as well. You know, it, it's just ironic that I had to come to prison to find my first positive mentor. You know, who you were searching for that, Joe. I was, I was, I was searching it was for pretty, it. I think when you were at the gambling rooms, you were first searching for... A positive right you're searching for a role model i was searching for something yeah, yeah i didn't know what it was i was searching for something like i didn't know what was out there you know it's funny because a lot of young young men who are incarcerated go through the same process it's like i want something different but they don't know where to look they don't know what it is that they want and not everyone you know uh, relates to education it could be something else yeah. you know but for me i thought education was maybe could be a path out of here right and this guy you know he kind of really like motivated me to to study and read books every day and all that kind of stuff and then sometime i passed and he moved to another jail and i, I was at wellington mm. so wellington is not not in new zealand wellington no. but wellington is a regional like, yeah. a regional center it's about five hours inland of new south mm. wales and i was sitting in the yard one day playing cards with the boys and this officer comes up to me you know he gives me mm. this hands me this letter Mm. and he, he said to me, Quan, I don't know how you did it, but you fucking did it, mate. Mm. And uh, out of curiosity, I was like, okay, I took that letter to my cell, mm. and I opened it up. He, well, he's already opened mm. up and read it already, but I opened it up, and I see this emblem on the top, and the red letter says, congratulations, you've been admitted into the University of New South Wales. Wow. You know, and I'll tell you something. You know, growing up, went through a lot of shit. I got sentenced you know, um, and you know, everyone goes through that fucking frustration and bullshit of jail. Mm. I never shed a tear, mm. right? Because I accepted the consequences of my actions. Mm. You know, that's, you did the crime, you did the yeah. time kind of thing, right? But, you know, when, when I was reading that letter, man, I sat in my cell, mm. like literally bawling my eyes out, crying because, you know, no one will understand the feeling of freedom that I was feeling in that moment, you know? Mm. Like, I knew it straight away. I was like, this is going to be the one thing that's going to set me free, mm. you know, and, and it did. That was the key. What changed from being that kid that was disruptive at school to being this focused person with a goal and driven? Prison does that to you. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, I, I honestly believe, you know, that everyone talks about resilience. Yeah. Everyone talks about resiliency and, you know, not many people will understand the true meaning of resiliency until they hit rock bottom. Yeah. Not many people will understanding the true meaning of gratitude until they hit rock bottom. Yeah. You know, and prison is rock bottom, man. Yeah. You know, when when you have no control over your life, right? Well, you do have control of a lot of lot of things, right? How yeah. you feel and all that kind of stuff. But I'm I'm talking about just generic things like, you know, your the walls are starting to cave in on you. It's you've been locked in for three days because there's been some sort of like incident in the mm. in the unit, you know, or there's a staff shortage. You're, you're sitting in your cell. People don't get that. I, it, I just want to ask you one question. Did you ever experience the resort type accommodation that was meant to be in prison? You know what no. I mean? Like some of the media go, oh, they, they live in like the resorts where they live in. 
Hey, I don't know what kind of resource <laughs> these people have been to. <laughs> Get your money back. <laughs> and you talk about resilience. I'm a big believer in gratitude and resilience, that combination. Yeah. And, you know, like, th- that's the thing. Like, like I'm going to go back. I- I'm pretty sure you've had the same thing. You're sitting in your cell. Like, you're feeling claustrophobic. Yeah. You know, your cell is fucking snoring his freaking nose off, right? And mm. the bloody walls are caving in. And all you want to bloody do is just go for a bloody walk outside. Mm. Clear your head. Nothing else. Yeah. Just go for a walk, get some fresh air. That's all I want. You can't even do that. Mm. You know? And when you experience something like that, and also there's a lot of, I don't want to say hatred, but the culture between inmates and staff, the screws, mm. is very toxic. It is. It's very toxic. And that, that kind of changes is on, on the outside you know you've got toxic people around you it's somewhat easier to just walk away from these mm. individuals to cut them out from your life yeah. you, <laughs> can't, general, you can't do that you know that's and, what i talk about i talk to people about you know about haters on social media and i said i just spent 23 years in prison yeah prison officers are highly trained haters <laughs> yeah, there's haters everywhere right yeah, yeah and the inmates are just as bad too a lot yeah. of them with that attitude and and you know what differentiated you from them Man, like at the start, you know, I understand why a lot of people like that because, like, you, you know, you, you're in a very negative place. Mm. You know, neg- negativity breeds negativity. You 100%. know, but for me, it was just like I, I've I just I just like seen everyone do that to each other, and mm. I was like, man, this is it's just ugly. And the only thing that got me out of that was the fact that I had hope mm. that my life is going to be something different on the outside. So there's no True. point. There's no point of me being like this in here. What's the point of me being like this? If I know I'm going to come back, okay, maybe, you know, yeah. you know, that that's just the general norm. But I didn't want to treat jail as this, as if this was going to be the rest of my life or if I was ever going to bring any piece of that on the outside world. I wanted to eliminate all that and just go, look, there's, I have hope that I'm going to live a positive. What was that hope? Explain what that hope was. So one was, okay, education. I wanted to do something with education too. What else do I know? Like I'm, I was a kid, I didn't know anything, but I know fitness. So I was like, well, how can I bring these all together? You know? Uh, and three, because I was doing fitness all the time, one thing I loved doing was helping the boys. Mm. You know, whenever like someone came in, they'd never trained before, you know, I'd be like, come, come for a training session, mm. you know? And six months later, this guy couldn't even do one pull-up. He's doing muscle-ups. Yeah, well, you know what I mean? Like I, I see those changes and, and that, that positive camaraderie and bond that you build. Uh, and I was like, I love confidence. It. Isn't it good I, to I see someone that. sparkle with confidence? Yeah, it's such man. a beautiful feeling. Yeah. So I loved, I loved that. I was like, man, this is something that makes me feel good and mm. that I'm proud of. You know. And I was like, I'm gonna do this. I'm gonna do this for the rest of my life. You know, whether whether I'm building fitness communities or other sort of communities. You know, mm. but anything to do with positivity and forming communities, that's something that I really wanted to do for the mm. rest of my life, man. Beautiful, and and that's where the confit was born. Yeah, man, confit confit was a running joke inside jail, mm. amongst the boys. You know, we all we all train with water bottles. Like uh, for the listeners, like you know, if you watch all these movies and you got, you see all these inmates like you know pumping free weights and stuff like that doesn't in the matter. yard, that's that that doesn't happen in jail. But inmates are very resourceful and they're very creative, right? And we make we pretty much create makeshift weights. Yeah, whether it's uh, water in garbage bags or in the thin coal bottles mm. or the detergent bottles and yeah. you put a broomstick through it, you know, and we come up with very... You pr- can walk in. That's the beauty about a, a jail-trained personal trainer. A normal trainer will walk into a park and see nothing, but a jail personal trainer will walk in and see everything. Exactly, exactly. 
Yeah. And that and that ingenuity that man, like people get blown away by the ingenuity that the prisoners can can do. Like, man, I was, when June first opened, oh not first opened, it was about five years into it. I seen a bloke make a fucking satellite out of a wok, <laughs> and 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 send it up the flagpole so they could make mobile phone calls. Mate, like, mate, I, I spun out when I first went in. Like, even like. Remember like the old the CD players how they used to rewire it onto the radios to yeah. make it into a like like a speaker. Yeah, uh, yeah. Another thing that I spun out about it was like you know inmates are obsessed with food because there's a, there's a shortage and lack of it, right? Yeah. And the Asians did this so well. You know the rice cookers. Yeah. yeah. They'll rewire it. You know normally a rice cooker when it gets hot it, it pops up yeah. and goes on to warm, right? Yeah. So they'll rewire it so it just stays hot the whole time. Remember like that? A fry pan. Yeah, and it turns into like a pot or a fry pan. You yeah. can make like soups out of it, and like you know, of course, <laughs> meal. Some of the some of the jail cooking shows they're just amazing. But with the training thing, yeah, that's what made makes you next level because your your ingenuity. Pretty much, it's like being resourceful. That's yeah. what an inmate does, you know, and that's what any entrepreneur should know how to do is to be resourceful, right? Yeah. And just going back to how comp it started was like there was that many water bottles that we used to train with in the unit one time, right? And the inmates were like, hey, you know, don't worry about fitness first. When we get out, let's start a business called Bottles First. Yeah, we'll yeah. have bottles, right? Yeah, yeah. And I kind of got, got me thinking, you know, I'm like, well, whoa, there's a lot of like creative stuff that we do inside jail. You know, there's yeah. a lot of different prison style training. It's like yeah. an actual thing, prison style training, right? I was like, well, man, why don't, why don't I start a fitness business, you know? And, and one of the boys, he's passed away now. Um, he said to me, he's like, wow, man, we should call it Confit. Mm. I was like, that's a fucking brilliant name, yeah. you know? And then it just, I just kind of got out and executed it. Did you start your business plan from in prison? It was a concept that yeah. started. So today it's a social enterprise, mm. all right? I didn't even know what a social enterprise was. <laughs> Not many people know what a social yeah, enterprise yeah. is. It's pretty much an enterprise with a social cause, right? All I wanted to do was create a brand that was a fitness brand called Confit. And I wanted to, you know, be able to sell this idea to train people in the community. And at the same time, I wanted to help the boys coming out of jail to become fitness trainers because so many of it, I mean, you started off as a trainer yeah, as well. Yeah, I've done you know? personal training. Yeah. yeah, and the reason why we got into training is because it was a huge part of our lives, you know. There's so much raw fitness knowledge that comes out of prison. And I'm thinking, why don't, we, why don't inmates utilize this and just get certified and, you know, use this as a stepping stone to other things in, in life, you know. And and at the same time, that like, you're training people from the general public, you know, and that is the best way to reintegrate. Everyone talks about this word. Training gives you a great work ethic. 100%. Not just a great work ethic, but also networking. You yeah. meet so many different people that you train mm. and, and when you train them, you get to uh, have a conversation with mm. them and they'll link you up with someone else. Yeah. And, you know, it's the best networking for- My mate, my mate combines his personal training business with a real estate business. He's killing it. Yeah, man. It's, yeah, yeah it's nice. And that's how like the idea of Confit was born is a concept that I came out with, right? Yeah. And then when I first went to uni, so like about a month after I came out of prison, I went straight to uni. Yeah. And the first subject that I did was a subject called creating social change, yeah. right? It was one of those first year business subjects, yeah. right? And they talk about social enterprises, not-for-profits, yeah. and how do we create social impact through business, right? Yeah. And that was the whole course. And the, the lecturer at the time, she was talking about, you know, like, the inmate population and mm. you know how do we help individuals and go. i was like Expert. i was like this is my thing this yeah. is my thing and i, I kind of approached her after i was like hey um, great lecture by the way my name is joe i just got out of long bay jail uh, and i got this business idea 
And she looked at me going, what the fuck? She, she, the first thing she asked me, she's like, are you even a student in my class? Or did you just like a blowing from outside? And I was like, no, no, I'm a, I'm, I'm a student, but I've got this business idea. So she introduced me to an organization called Center for Social Impact. Mm. They're based in um, UNSW. Mm. So they're more, they're like master's degrees mm. and PhD students mm. who use like kind of social impact for business, right? Mm. So they put me on as a case study with my business idea. Oh, how good, how lucky, what a timing. <laughs> so lucky, man. And they helped me to create what, you know, Convict Fitness is today. Mm. You know, it's a social enterprise with the mission to that, reduce like, So recidivism. they helped you build the infrastructure of it, yeah? Uh, they we did whole matrix mapping and, mm. right, like they, they helped me. Like, I, I was like, I've never experienced anything like this, right? But it was a learning curve for me as well. And they helped me to create what Convict is today. Yeah. How, what's the timing? That's universal, man. Yeah, man. It was, and, you know, that was crazy. And also, like, you know, I wanted to test out the whole idea of, well, okay, well, this whole concept is good, but let's not forget, does society even accept people like us? Will yeah. people even come and train with us? And yeah. I was just like, crap, in my head and in all the boys' heads, they're like, yeah, we're going we're gonna to kill it with this idea. But I'm like, no, that's from our, that's our perception. Yeah, you know, society has a really, really negative perception on inmates, on, yeah. on inmates coming out. Yeah. So I was like, man, how do we how do we test this model, right? So we did something crazy, man. So I've got a bunch of boys who just come out of the system. Yeah. We're all on parole, including myself. You know, Wayne Cleveland was yeah, yeah. there. We had all the boys, and we're like, let's start a community event in Redfern, right? And we'll raise funds right for mental health let's give some money to are you okay and mm. the rise foundation odyssey yeah. house in refin and let's go let's let's raise some money for mental health like how are we going to do this and they're like i don't know but let's think of something so we started inviting everyone we knew we went out doing like letter drop boxes like letter drops we went to all like local small businesses in refin and told them that we're running this um event i remember it happening and the whole event was run by inmates right mm. and we wanted to see if the community would support this or if no one will show up, right? But eventually, we had pretty much every business in, in Redfern donating something, you know? You had cafes donating meals, coffees, the local butcher donated this whole meat pack, mm -hmm. you know, you had the pubs donating meals and drinks and, you know, you had Redfern Physio, they donated like free physiotherapy. You had like all the local acupuncture places donating this mm -hmm. and, it was crazy. And Lord Mayor, Clover Moore's office, they came down to the event. You had Rabbitohs. Mm -hmm. All the Rabbitohs players came down. They they donated a jersey, signed jersey, and this local framing business that framed the jersey up. You know, we did like a little raffle and, you know, we were raising money. And we had some guy brought this, um, the punching bag. It's like mm -hmm. it, it measures how strong your punch yeah, yeah, is. Yeah. And people were putting money in to, to get the highest, yeah. highest um, score and stuff like that, you know? Yeah. And you had guys in wheelchairs that was dressed in the roosters out because it was like a, it kind of was like a um, Rabbitohs event. <coughs> but all the one roosters fans, he, um, he was in this wheelchair, he came in, he punched the bag as well. And it was like a huge, we had Roger Fabry, you know, the, the sprinting coach come yeah, down, coach, teach yeah. the kids how to do sprints. And mm -hmm. it was a mad community event. You know, we had- um, But how does it feel, Joe? Going from, okay, being a menace to society to being an asset where you can provide Something to benefit your community it must be an amazing feeling. Mate, that that event was that started the chain of events. Mm. You know, that community event gave all, not just myself but all of us A hope purpose, to do yeah. something. You know, and we're like, you know what, community doesn't hate us. They actually they're rooting for a second chance. Mm. 
you know, and that really gave me the energy to be able to to do what I'm doing now, you know. And I didn't have that thing in the back of my mind. Oh shit, they they actually really hate us. Yeah, the stigma. Yeah. Yeah, that that really broke down that stigma, and that's why my mission is to try to. You can't change people's perceptions. You can't. Yeah. It's hard, but you can you can help them to think twice about certain things. Yeah. You know, and that's my mission. You know, um, I say to change uh, society's perception uh, on former inmates, but I just want them to think a little bit deeply into the reasons why these individuals went in there, not just about the act itself, yeah. because I think that's very shallow thinking. I say you that know. about it. I say, let's look at the underlying issue. Yeah, 100%. Let's look at the root causes yeah. rather than the actual act itself. Yeah. Joey Williams is a good black I love to connect you with, and he's an ex-Rabbitohs footballer, ex-professional boxer, and he doesn't ask what he asked why yeah you know yeah, what what did you do don't yeah. worry about why did you do it yeah, you know? yeah yeah mate your progress has been amazing i've been watching from that event i remember that event going down i've been been watching i've been most impressed you went overseas you went and done a tour over the jails in america and, and europe and, yeah, yeah. and and the market in norway the, the what that's the talk of rehabilitation norway yeah. what 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 do they do different in norway that they do in australia what could what could we learn about rehabilitation from norway what could we implement that would change be a game changer here uh, put it simply it is it comes simply down to this the humane treatment of they don't even call it like to call it inmates individuals people mm. right and their concept was okay so everyone talks about rehabilitation Right? Prison should be a place of rehabilitation, right? But then also they talk about, well, they did the crime to society, they still need to get punished, right? But research shows that punishment does not work. Mm. And rehabilitation and punishment, they do not go hand in hand, right? It does not work at the same time. How can you rehabilitate, try to rehabilitate someone at the same time you're trying to punish them? Mm. It's, it's not a concept that works, mm. right? It's either you gotta have one or the other. Right. Mm. So if you have just punishment, everyone knows how that goes down. Doesn't right. Work. The long term effects of punishing individuals, they get worse. Yeah. Right. So Norway was like, okay, well, let's try this new concept of like just treating inmates humanely, right? And trying to change these individuals. Right. And to get that across, you know, the government to accept that or for society to accept that. It took a long time, you know. I was mm. talking to the guy who actually had a key hand in implementing that whole process in Norway, right? And he was a um, regional governor or something like that at the time, and he got promoted and mm. uh, ended up meeting this guy. And he even said to him, he goes, two decades ago, right? Only two decades ago, right? The Norwegian or the Scandinavian prison system was exactly the same as all the other developed Western countries. Throw away the key, keys, you know, feed them stale bread and that kind of mentality. Yeah. But the different thing in Scandinavia, they pay one of the highest taxes in the world, right? And you know, when it comes to changing legislation and stuff like that, you need societies or you need the community's support okay, yeah. around this, right? And that's how politics get involved. They were so good to be able to sell this to, to the community saying, if we tried this new method, Right? There's a bit of investment at the start, but long term, there's going to be huge savings on the community's wallet, yeah. right? And we could divert that into, you know, like they've already got free education, you know, healthcare. Like they, they got the mm. best support from the government, mm. right? So, so it's a be, it was based down on community accountability. Yeah, yeah. So like the community was like, look, 
we're going to go with this. Anything to do with saving taxpayer dollars into more positive things rather than putting into the prison system, they were all for it, right? So that was two decades ago, a bit over two decades ago. And they've dropped their recidivism rate. Like Australia's got a recidivism rate 80%. That's returned to prison within two years. That's youth. That's youth? Youth, yeah. Yeah, youth 84%. Yeah. And with adults, it's 54%. Wow. Yeah, yeah. And what, what did um, Norway have? I think it was under 12. Norway's 20, low 20s. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. And it, it's, it was crazy because one thing that first shocked me was the relationship between inmates and staff. Yeah. The prison staff, right? And you know what the relationship's like here. Yeah. Right? It is bloody toxic. Mm. You even talk to a screw for too long. You're, you're going to be called like a dog, a dog yeah. or like one of those things. So and same. then you're going to get ridiculed and the officers treat you like really yeah. bad. Yeah. You know, they treat you like second class citizens. They always call you crim, mm. like get this crim over there. And, mm. you know, like even just the wording that they use and the way they treat you, mm. right? It's inhumane. Over there, the officers, it takes two years to train to become a prison staff, yeah. right? So they're more like social workers, psychs, yeah. stuff like that. And it was... It's crazy that they were celebrating a birthday together with all the inmates and the staff. Yeah. And I was like, this is key. Mm. This is key because they're the ones that are in their in inmates' lives the whole time mm. and they're supporting them throughout the whole process. Obviously, there are some boundaries and stuff, mm. but it's nothing like here. And over them, they normalize everyday life. So, you know, when we go to jail, we get institutionalized after a while, mm. right? Same routines, you know, they feed you the same thing, all that kind of stuff, right? So over there, they don't, they try not to institutionalize you, right? So they've got a shopping mall. I went inside Maxo, right? Mm. So I went to Bergen Maximum Security, right? And inside, they've got this shopping mall. It's like pretty much like an Aldi. You could mm. get everything you want except for grog, mm. right? And inmates all get credit cards that are linked to bank accounts on the outside, right? And they... You have to either work or study, right? Mm. When you're studying, I'm talking about a proper degree course or whatever, right? And the government will subsidize it and they'll pay you for it, right? If you're working, you get paid the same salary as someone who will be doing this job on the outside, yeah. right? Then you pay taxes to the government, right? Then you pay rent to the jail, right? Then you pay victim victims comp out of that. Then you go and do your own grocery and you cook or buy whatever the hell you want, take it back into the unit and make your meal like a normal person would do on the outside. Who the hell? You're getting living skills out of that. 100%, but you don't you don't get institutionalized like that. And women and men mix in the shopping centers yeah. or in the shopping malls, right? And okay. they're talking like normal people yeah. and, you know, and they buy their groceries and then they take it back to the unit and they cook. Mm. I was in a maximum security prison that had a 30 centimeter kitchen knife. Wow. And I was just like, like I have a six centimeter fucking toothbrush in this. <laughs> yeah, and I was like, what the hell is going on here? And I said to this guy, I was like, look, what are you in jail for? And he goes, in for murder. And I said, like, what'd you do? He goes, I stabbed someone. <laughs> you got a kitchen off. Yeah, and I was like, you're not pulling my leg, are you? He's like, no, no, no. But it just goes to show, you know, the, the humane treatment of individuals, people, right? Yeah. No incidents happen, you know? But. I just I just feel that there are a lot of differences yeah. between other developed Western countries and the Scandinavian model that you can't replicate. You know, over there they don't have immigration, so everyone is Norwegian. Yeah. They don't have prison gangs. You know, unlike Australia, New Zealand, and America, you know, they don't have prison gangs. You know, How do they stop that? You reckon? Stop. 
the prison gangs just doesn't appeal to the. I, I, I feel a lot of these prison gangs are based around co- different cultures. Yeah. You know, so the fact that we have such a diverse nationality in, mm. in prison, there's no other way but whether you call it a prison gang or you you stick into your own kind or what you know, right? Yep. But when you're when you're all Norwegian or or, or Swedish or, or mm. fin, Finnish or whatever, right? All the Scandinavian. When you're all that, and you you live by the same culture, all mm. that kind of stuff. I don't think there's any many differences. They, they didn't have prison gangs inside jail. Yeah. But then I was talking to some of the inmates and they were saying, oh, you should check out the, the prison in Oslo. They're starting to bring in a lot of immigrants and apparently that model, that, that this utopian model is now all breaking down. Apparently Sweden, Sweden started bringing all the refugees in, right? Mm. And apparently all of these refugees are now coming, to, coming mm. into jail and ruining this whole like Scandinavian model. It was yeah. it worked for the Scandinavians, yeah. but when you bring other cultures into it, it, it wasn't working, you know? But there, like, there are like, a lot of things that we can take out from it. Hundred percent. I'm always looking at I'm always looking at for things that work. I, I you know, I've got a concept called rewind where we, we ask the question, what is the underlying issue of your offending behaviour? People say drug addiction. So what's the underlying issue of your drug addiction? Trauma. Let's deal with the trauma. Yeah. The drug addiction's walking apart once you deal with the trauma. Yeah, yeah. And then you go skills and training after that and then assimilation yeah. after that. Man, you're on a winner. It's not, guys like us can work it out for them. Your story is massive and I think we could, I could talk to you all day and you're just such a breath of fresh, fresh air, Joe. You really are, man. And you're Thanks, just a, you're a forward thinker. You should be on all these parliamentary, you know, people like us. We've got the answers. And I think yeah. the big change now was COVID. Mm. Massive game changer when yeah. people realised, hang on, we've just spent two years in our house. Maybe that is enough punishment. Yeah. So we're in a really good prime, prime time at the moment for change. Yeah. And I think you have been a leader in that. Like that's when Confit was like really kicked off. It kicked off. off. It kicked off during COVID. Yeah. Yeah. So it was funny because like a lot of fitness businesses started to regress. All the gyms were shutting down and everything. We were running at parks, but even then, we couldn't run at parks anymore because it was like remember you know you couldn't train with more than mm. X amount of people and people from different areas couldn't mm. come in a certain kilometer range, mm. and everyone turned online. Right. Mm. And it was funny because as soon as COVID hit. Overnight, we became the experts in confined space bodyweight training because mm. we used to do all the training in our prison cells. Yeah. You know, and that's how we marketed it. And our brand started growing from there. You know, We had companies like Google and Atlassian hitting us up saying, can you please work with some of our employees to help them to understand what incarceration really means and you know, around health and well-being and how, how can we get them to be more active while they're at home? You mm. know, And I just got them to, uh, I was really teaching other corporates to be more resilient and be grateful for what they have still until you have everything taken away from you you don't really know what mm. you're grateful for i talk so. to people people go oh COVID. i said yeah well imagine doing two years locked in your fucking toilet yeah with a with a shitty little mattress yeah and, and a, a cellmate that's got irritable bowel syndrome <laughs> or something like that see what sort of therapy that is you know what i mean yeah, I, you yeah. know what i mean mate look, where are you going now man like i i just i'm just watching you go from strength to strength man your your brand is getting stronger i talked to some really influential business people everyone knows about you guys really? you're, you're, yeah <laughs> your brand is becoming synonymous really attached to fitness and second chance yeah man look at the end of the day 
I'm just sticking to what I know best, mm. like fitness and building communities. Mm. And I know for a fact that, you know, for us in Australia or anywhere around the world to reduce any sort of recidivism and to provide second chances, not one person or one organization can do this. It has to be a cross-sector collaboration to solve this social issue, right? And mm. for me, it's all about, you know, the reason why we connect as well. It's like, let's, you know, go off each other's strengths, yeah. you know, because we have... Uh, uh, our own social like mi mission, yeah. you know, uh, and that and it's very aligned as well, you know, because yeah. you want to help those that are coming out the yeah. system, and we also want to raise awareness, and we're kind of activists mm -hmm. at the same time to break down society's mm -hmm. negative stereotyping on people like us, you know, and to build like strong communities of support, and that's what I, that's what I've been focused in, and that's what I've been doing, and you know, being able to collaborate with some big big brands. You know, just recently we just collaborated with Jeet Up because I want to talk about that. What yeah, an amazing collaboration. Yeah, and there are a lot of um, similar values that we believe in. You know, but your story and their story is very similar. It's about Jake, man's Story is just phenomenal. Like I, I had the pleasure of going and spend about an hour and a half with their guys on Friday. And, man, I was blown away. Like, I was buzzing. I was pumping. Like, yeah. I was going far out. What an amazing story. And, and and their business concept. And coming from the backgrounds, very similar backgrounds to ours. Yeah. And achieving what they're doing. And the quality in that brand is, like, 100%. next level, man. And it's know? like a, they've got a diehard fan base. Yeah. People who, who truly believe in that brand. Mm -hmm. And I truly believe that branding is something huge. You know, like... For people like us, we never had a certain brand that we can attach ourselves to. Yeah, you know? only an adverse one. That was criminal. Yeah, yeah. But something positive. There was yeah. not many positive brands that we can attach ourselves to. Right? Mm -hmm. Most of the crims attached ourselves to motorcycle bike, motorcycle OMCG groups or like other gangs. Yeah. Or that, that was our brand, yeah, right? Yeah. But then to have a commercial brand like that that outwardly showed their support and stuff for this kind of community through clothing, yeah. you know, and Comfit is doing it through fitness. Well, it just makes sense for us to be able to collaborate, yeah. you know, and we have a lot of similar types of people who understand. I thought it was the perfect combination. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And um, for them, they wanted to do a lot of things for the community. It's like, how can we also give back to the community, not mm. just through, you know, providing clothes, right? Mm. But what else can they do, you know? They sponsor a lot of sports people. Sports people, you know, artists, musicians, uh, now they're supporting a lot of the young young fellows, especially men, yeah. who are coming at the justice system. There was a guy that I met there. He he just he wasn't long out of jail working there. He's done their podcast. What an amazing bunch of human beings! There's another one I want to talk about. Kaiser, one of your one Hi. of your students, has a like. I remember talking to him. I was blown away, and he told me part of what you've done with him, and I think it's uh, admirable from what you guys do and he said um you know when he first he, he was all gung-ho about being a personal trainer or everything like that and you said mate get a job on the building site or get another job and we want to see what you work we want you to build a work ethic you know what yeah. i mean that's quality yeah, yeah. tell Look, us a bit about kaiser man i know you've got a few and i don't yeah. you don't want to single anyone out yeah yeah but that story is inspirational in itself yeah so we've got some really incredible guys coming out of our program all it is is that mindset shift yeah you know to create that mindset shift about you know, having an optimistic view on life, yeah. you know, having that hope that I've talked about in, before, you know, yeah. that is the most powerful thing for any young individual to have a sense of hope, right? And when you're young, you're very optimistic as well, you know, mm. when it, it's, it's hard when in their whole lives they've been trotted on, things have never gone their way, and there are a lot of trust and issues. But these are the guys that tell them. You're not, you guys ain't the ones that are saying you can't, you're the ones that are saying you can. Yes, 
Hundred percent. That's the difference. Hundred percent. Hundred percent. And then providing opportunities. Yeah. Or yeah. outlets to opportunities. You know. So yeah. Kaiser was once known as I think they gave him the nickname Sydney's most wanted teenager. Yeah. Uh, he was doing that many armed robberies uh, yeah. all over the place, and you know he was one angry little kid, and he had a he had He's a, got a blue card now. Yeah, man. He. So I'll get into that. Right. Yeah. Um, so he was well known in yeah. youth justice, being one a troublemaker, yeah. but he had the gift of the gab. You know, he was he's he natural. He's like yeah. a natural leader as well, right? Yeah. And you know, he was doing our program, and we we talk about certain things on our program. It's not just a fitness program, but it's a proper mentoring program, mm. right? And one of the things we talk about on our program is called the G code. Mm. You know, we we all live <coughs> by a certain code, mm. right? But we teach young people to live by a new code, right? And this G code is based around three principles. First one is gratitude, goal setting, and being grounded, right? Mm. And young people from our program have adopted these principles and do, are doing amazing things with their lives, right? But Kaiser heard about our story about you know the education, how education really was a stepping stone to change our change my life around, mm. right? And also, I told him the value of education. It's not about going and getting knowledge. That's one small part, but what education does for you, it, it helps you to problem solve, mm. right? It helps you to articulate thoughts in your mind, put it into a structure, right? And that's what education does. There's many forms of education, but I chose the outlet of going to university, mm. right? And he was very motivated by that. Mm. So he en ended up, he was studying in, in, in juvie, mm. did his HSC and Luckily, we have a partnership with UNSW. So we, as I was graduating, I formed a partnership with UNSW. So any young person that goes through our program that does the HSC in jail, they get a full scholarship into UNSW with campus accommodation. Kaiser jumped on that straight away. Yeah. You know, he, he grew up in public housing commission. He, when he got out of jail, he was sleeping on the sofa the whole time, you yeah. know? I think they live in like a one bedroom apartment or something, him, his sister, mum. Yeah. He was sleeping on the sofa. And I was like, dude, that, that, you know, as much as you want to be with, around your family, I know you want to support him, but I think it would be much better if you come and live on the campus and surrounded by other academics, right? Yeah. Uh, and learn something different. And today he's, 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 a, he's now a lived experience mentor on our program. So he's back in the Youth Justice Center as a mentor. He's got his Cert 3, Cert 4 as a, as a trainer. He's now studying at UNSW and he's mentoring other kids. And this kid just wants to, you know, he's passionate about business and, why not? Why not support people like this who oh, want to change? Man, all day, you know? I will. All day. That's why I brought it up because I, when he told me his story, I was blown away. I, I, I met him on TikTok. I met him through TikTok, and we touched base through TikTok. And um, and he asked me about yourself, and I said, "Yeah, I, I, man, I'm a big fan of the program." But you become to him that mentor that you were seeking as a child. Exactly. That's the whole purpose of our mentoring program. We want to be that male role model, that that male figure that, that makes the difference that we needed growing up. Yeah. Every one of us, every one of us on our team, right? We all either have single mothers or a single father, broken family or- Dysfunctionality. Dis like something, right? Yeah, there's, yeah. there's common ground, whether it's this generation, the generation before or, or coming. Everyone like, that we kind of resonate with all come from the same background, yeah. right? And we're like, okay, well, what can we do to give back to the next generation? Yeah. You know, and that's what we're doing. And that's, that's what our program is all about. You know? Learned experience, man. I'm one of the greatest teacher of all. Lived 100%. experience. 100%. Better than any fucking 10 degrees. You know what I mean? Yeah, that's yeah. what, man, I, I love what you guys are doing, man. And uh, I really do. And I love the collaborations you're forming. You touched on it before about 
networking through personal training. Man, yeah. mate, you've got a PhD in networking. Some of the people <laughs> that you've um, made contact with, and, and man, I, I, you're an, an honest bro. But, bro, that just comes down to uh, if you are a true hustler, yeah. you take that on into something positive. You do it you in know? jail. Yeah. You do it in jail. Use you, it but for something positive. Yeah. You know? Like whatever you learn in jail, use it for something positive in your life. Yeah, yeah. Unfortunately, that a lot of people go back to what they know. Yeah. You know, but you can use these skills. You know, resiliency, hustling mentality, all that kind of stuff. Right. You can use that to do positive things with your life. Mm. You can. You know, they always say that. You know, there's street smart and there's book smart. Book yeah. smart doesn't always have to be a university degree, right? No. This book smart is in educating yourself, whether that's through YouTube or reading books or whatever, mm. right? But in reality, in society, book smart will always win, yeah, yeah, right? In society, but if you have the two, you're unstoppable. Yeah, yeah, for sure. You know, I think so. Man, this has been a cracker of a podcast. I really, really enjoyed it. I really, mate, any time, spending time with you, blokes like the G-Up Crew or Mark Burris or yeah. Mick Gatto or Dr. Charlie Teo. Yeah. There's always that same, you know, and anyone like Jeff, Jeff Morgan, um, some of the boxers, Jeff Fennick. I hate to leave out people. Because yeah, I yeah. Want it, but anyone that I've, I've done a podcast with, I mean, it's really uplifting, you know, and it's really like, oh, I love what you're doing. And I, and you're a dead set asset to the community, man. Like man. you were a menace to society. But I know, I know. But at the end of the day, you know, I, it's all about, you know, why I come onto podcasts like this. We need community support. You know, I, for example, you know, the whole partnership with GW, I'm wearing this, this is the new Blackout collection that yeah. GW is bringing out, right? Yeah. So it's all black. Yeah. And the reason being is because they want to take the focus of the actual clothing itself yeah. and focus on the mission, on the message. Yeah, yeah. And the message is that a company like GW is supporting individuals, right? That have gone through hardships that are, may have stepped in shit, ended up in prison or yeah. who are still going through a lot of troubles. Mm. But that a, a company or a brand like that is supporting individuals, like not the crime, yeah. but supporting them as individuals to do something better with their lives. You know, yeah. a positive message, right? For sure. And I truly believe that, you know, it's not just one organization or individual's effort to make social change or create social change. Mm. It's a collective effort yeah. through everyone in society. It's, yeah, you know, it's, it's, it's about second create, chances. Creating a culture, creating a culture. Yeah. My young bloke was telling me about Jeff. He goes, my mates buy that online and see, resell it. And I told Jake and that. And they go, we know that. We yeah. encourage that. Yeah. We encourage the It's hustle. actually more expensive to to buy the resale market. Yeah, yeah. Because they only bring out X amount, right? So, you know, a lot of clothing brands, you know, they, they're always thinking about, oh, well, we want to provide for everyone. They're just scared about leaving money on the table, right? Yeah. So they buy too much stock. Yeah. G up, brilliant what they're doing. They're like, we're just going to sell... X amount of stock, we sell out, we sell out, right? But then that that creates more of like a- A market. Yeah, people like, want it even more. My like, young bloke was saying, oh, he's got mates that are making thousands of it. Some people, they can't buy it. Like all these people- like I tried to buy, I, I, I went to there and I said, I just said to my girl, I said, get on and buy some t-shirts. I really like the quality of them t-shirts. She goes, yeah. you can't. You can't get it. No. <laughs> it's crazy, right? Big shout out to the team at GDAP, man. You guys are amazing. Joe, we got to wind it up. But, mate, how can people support ConFit? Tell us about how do they contact you, what support you need, because, man, I encourage all corporates, I encourage everyone in the community to get behind this amazing concept uh, and, and this this way of living. And, and Joe and the team, man, just dead set, you know, like, you're like the Dr. Dre of fucking fitness. <laughs> Thanks, bro. I don't know about the Dr. Dre part, but all I want to say is around support, Think think twice about what individuals have gone through. 
Don't mm. just judge straight or don't just judge a book by the cover or the actions that they've they've done, but think a little bit beyond that. Mm. About Open the your mind, yeah. Yeah, about the, co- the, the root causes of certain things, right? Because that's what we're all about, creating that social change around society to have different perceptions, you know? Um, that's one thing. Second thing is, you know, if you really want to support us, we do run a lot of corporate wellness, I wouldn't call it workshops, but events. We do talks and we, we do a lot of team building stuff for corporates. So, you know, if you guys ever need any guys. Well, you, come, and you can really show people, like show people how to overcome adversity. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, and we do what, it through fitness. What better people, like you were a bloke who's, ex, who's faced the most extreme adversity and what better, man, that, you've been in the deep end. Yeah, man. And, Man, you are the, like the market leader of showing people how to overcome adversity. Man, so are you. Yeah. So are you, man. We're doing it in our own individual ways and experiences. You know, that's why lived experience is so powerful. You know, but um, they, we're, we're trying to grow this brand community, you know, and this brand is a beacon for those who've either gone through the system or who, who you know, are facing hard times to, to show them that this is, it can be done. Mm. It is this we are here to support individuals you know no matter what walk of life you've gone through but we've been there done it and we're still trying to do it you know we're not perfect we're not perfect you know at the end of the day we, there's a lot of you know falls and everything like that but at the end of the day we just keep on striving you know and there's listeners out there who are going through this you know who've come out of the justice system or whatever and they're, they're feeling like down there's opportunities or, or, or the university student that's kicked his toe a couple of times yeah man yeah, man. Let's fucking let's let's band together. Let's get behind and support this amazing brand, this Confit. And Joe and his team, man, amazing. Joe, thanks for being on uh, the stick up, man. It's been thanks a pleasure having, having you. Man. It's been a pleasure.